Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Side of Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. We're going into midweek with a 9 and 2 record as they have two more with the Kansas City Royals before they're supposed to take on their hated rivals, the St. Louis Cardinals. A lot of good things to look at with this team and also some glaring weaknesses as we talked on this last show about. Probably no surprise what those weaknesses are. So stick around. We got a good show for you for you tonight. Adam, how you doing? Fantastic. Good to hear. Okay, so Cubs are nine and two. They got two more in Kansas City. You hope at bare minimum they can at least split there. You want to take advantage of these games while you can. They're coming off a home sweep of the Royals in a two-game set. They're also coming off a sweep of the Pittsburgh Pirates at home. And that was a very key series because the Pirates are also reeling. The Cubs needed to, at the very least, win that series. They ended up sweeping. It was a struggle in the final game. They had to win on a walk-off in extras. But and we got to see the Cubs play with the new extra inning rules for the first time. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I still don't like it. It's it's just not the way the game is meant to be played. Uh, and and like I said before the season, if I knew that this was just a temporary thing, then I could get over it. But I still have this belief in me that this is going to spur a conversation about adopting this permanently. And that's that bothers me. It's I re- I really am not into it. I don't think you're the only one who feels that way. I could definitely see them legit talking about this for the future. It almost seemed like Mafford's perfect guinea pig type scenario this year to try it out. Part of me thinks that Manfred looked at the 60 game season and is like, all right, let's guinea pig as much stuff as we can here. Uh, I, I know. And again, if it was guaranteed for the short season, I'd probably live with it. I'd just say, you know what? Just avoid extra innings as much as you can. I do feel like the road team kind of has somewhat of an advantage because they get to bat first with the runner in scoring position, but you still obviously have the home team bat last. Now, the Cubs were pretty fortunate because they got a great throw from Kyle Schwarber to nail the runner in extra innings. That was a huge play. Also, they didn't let that huge missed opportunity get to them where they had guys at the corners with nobody out and they couldn't score. Luckily, Baez saved the day and the bullpen was able to hold strong because that could have easily been a loss for the Cubs or it could have been at least more of a marathon if the Pirates took the lead then the Cubs tied it again. So I just I don't want to see them in that scenario too many times this year. I really don't. No, I, I don't either. I It's it's not my favorite thing and it's it really is going to bother me a lot if that ends up being a permanent thing. I tell you what, I'm not so into the seven inning double headers either. I just, I'm not sure I really get what the point of that is. I mean, it's, it's already a shortened season and I know that you're playing mostly every day, but it, it's another one of those things where it just, it's like, why? It's kind of like the whole, Hey, let's cut down on visits, mound visits or, uh, cutting down on the small things like at most you're in the grand scheme of things, you're kind of just saving a little sliver 
it's not like a huge difference in my opinion. Right. And I don't think that, you know, seven inning double headers and nine inning double headers, I don't think that's the difference between feeling good and well rested and exhaustion. I just don't think there's that big of a gap between the seven inning and nine inning double headers. I really don't. In my opinion, if you want to cut down on like player usage and exhaustion and all that, how about just let the rosters stay bigger? Yeah, I completely agree. I think, and we're not alone in thinking that either. I think that that was one of the most popular uh, things that people speculated about before the season even started is that it would be probably wise to expand the rosters. I wouldn't have any problem with that at all. I think it would make perfect sense. Keep them at upper 20s, 30. Yeah. Because that way you can mix and match people and double headers more. You could get guys more rest and you could hold more pitchers on your squad and not have to use up the bullpen as much. To me, that seems like the logical thing, but I I don't know. I completely agree. I think that, you know, given these special circumstances, I think that that is just one of a few ways that you could help uh, alleviate some of the, the frustrations that come with this condensed season without changing how the game is played. Yeah. Exactly. Let's look at the Cubs themselves, just where we are, 9-2. and And, okay, there's been a lot of, at least in the past day or so, there's been a lot of, well, they're 9-2, and but they're not really playing good teams, yada, yada, yada. Slightly, I understand, because they really haven't played that many good teams, but let's keep this in mind, too. Going into the season, so many people were talking about the Reds and people were saying, oh, the the Brewers are going to be better than the Cubs. And now suddenly they beat them and everyone's like, oh, no, the the Brewers stink. The Reds stink. Yachty, which one is it? Yeah, I I know it's early, but I feel really good about uh, and I told you so for the Reds. And not to you specifically, I mean to just baseball fans in general or anyone who was so high on the Reds. And yeah, we, I even saw on MLB Network that the Reds had the best chances to win the NL Central. It's like, come on, no way, no way. And they they definitely, their lineup and their rotation, it definitely is an improvement from last year. But do I see NL Central champs? No. To me, that squad has to prove it before I get really high on them yeah. because go back the past two, three years, every offseason is watch out for the Reds. They're the dark horse. Watch out for the Reds. And they finish, what, like 10, 15 games below 500? Mm-hmm. It's like you hit, you see the talent on that team. No question. There is talent on that team, but it never meshes fully. It's, you know, it just, it doesn't yeah. all come together to equal a winning squad. And until that happens, I kind of treat them like I do Detroit Lions, where, you know what, until you prove that you can win with your core, I'm not going to predict you to win. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know. I just, I hate to say it, but I put the White Sox in the same camp as the Reds, where I just wasn't buying it, don't believe the hype, but man, the the White Sox are looking kind of good lately. And, you know, it's still early and there's time for them to collapse. And I hope they do. Uh, Man, you are so full of hate. Yeah, I I don't have a I don't have much room in my heart for the White Sox. Just don't. That lineup's good. That lineup's scary. It is. 
it is good. There is no denying that. You're right. Luis Robert is out of this world. You just watch that kid play. Like, I'm legit jealous of that guy. I he's is their rotation is their rotation in their bullpen gonna be good enough to hold up though? The back question. end of their bullpen is pretty dang good. The rotation, that's where the questions come in with them. Well, and who was uh who opted out? Uh Kopech. Kopech, yeah, Michael Kopech opted out. That's that hurts. And Rodon just got hurt. That's a that's a tough loss for them. Yeah, he's but... he's hurt more than he isn't hurt though. So. I know, I know. Yeah. Which is which is sad because he I mean he had he has tons of potential. Yeah, he does. He does. Slider's really good. Um and former Cub Dylan Cease. I see a lot of the potential in him. But still got to be kind of pieced together. It's very early in his career. He's only made a handful of starts, so you can't declare he's going to be one thing or another, but you know, you're still trying to see what you have in him. So yeah, that's probably the biggest mystery with them, but Boy, that lineup is going to mash, and they are going to mash for a very long time. I mean, we're talking five plus years here of them just mashing, and that's a good lineup. <sighs> that's not what I want to hear. Well, it's, I mean, they got those guys locked up to extensions. That lineup they, is yeah. going to be there for a number of years. Yeah, but will they be better than the Twins? I guess they don't have to be, though, since you only need to get second place in your division to make the postseason now. I think the Sox have more talent than the Twins. The Twins are pretty good, don't get me wrong, but I think the Twins are going to slip. I agree with you. I, I I pretty much share that same mentality that I think the, the Minnesota Twins are a good team, but I don't I don't think they're going to stay on this pace. Uh, they, they are obviously going to fall down to earth a little bit, but I, I do see them still winning the, the AL Central. I mean, I think a lot of people do, and I think it's reasonable because, you know, they're the veteran team for the most part. Yeah. I mean, Nelson Cruz is still amazing. I got to give that guy credit. Where the White Sox, you know, they're very young and they're very inexperienced. So, you know, you're probably going to experience some growing pains every now and then. And, um, you know, that's just part of being a young team. And uh, they've had some nagging injuries. Nothing. It doesn't seem like anything too serious yet, but... um I know Nick Magical just had a shoulder injury, but it's worse than a broken bone, or it's not as bad as a broken bone. Uh, that could have been a lot worse. And uh, Tim Anderson looks like he's coming back. And I mean, keep in mind the White Sox are mashing without Tim Anderson right now. You get him back, they're going to be even better. I mean, do, you, do you think Tim Anderson is doomed to regress a little bit? I mean, he he had such a good year last year, but he never had a season like that before. You he'll think regress he, a little, you think but he he'll, falls down a little bit. He will. I mean, the Babbitt numbers kind of show that, but he's still going to be a good asset. There's no question about that. He's he's still going to be a productive bat. We shall see. But anyway, this is a Cubs show, so we're going to talk about the Cubs. Right now, I have baseball reference up, and they have top 12 players so far, and uh, looks like they're looking at B-War. So... Again, take that as it is. This is a small sample size. But just for fun, I want you to guess who is their top number one player right now? Their number one player? Yeah. In terms in, in, of being in, in all of baseball or on the Cubs? On the team. It's, it's going to be somebody, you know, it's going to be an unorthodox answer. Um... 
I know it's if it's not a pitcher, it's got to be one of those bottom of the lineup guys because Rizzo and Bryant aren't hitting terrifically at the moment. Uh, I guess like Wilson Contreras. He's third. Okay. And you know Bodie hasn't played a lot, but he's played really well. He's in uh, the he's in that top twelve. Yeah, uh, Ian Happ has played really well. He's in the top twelve as well. Okay. Um, gosh, I I don't know. Beyond that, I just it probably isn't Schwarber. I wouldn't think he'd be in there. He's in the top uh, twelve, but not oh, number one. Okay. I you're gonna have to tell me. I think Tyler Chatwood. Oh, you know that. Once you say that, that actually kind of makes sense. He right now has a 0.71 ERA, a fielding independent pitching of 0.95. His strikeouts per nine, 13.5. Yeah, he has been awesome. To say the least. Yeah. I mean, his two starts were beautiful. 19 strikeouts versus four walks. In total, he's given up six hits and 12 and two-thirds innings. I mean, that is that is just as lights out as it gets. And and we always knew that the, the stuff was great. That was never the question. It was always about whether or not he could locate it, and walking too many guys was his problem. And this is just like a completely different Tyler Chatwood. I mean, and, and he, he performed well out of the bullpen for the Cubs last year, but we, we really have not seen him do this as a starter yet. If he keeps this up, if you he keeps keep going, there. I, I, yeah, yeah, not only that, but beyond, I think you got to resign him. Well, I wouldn't, yeah, I'm not going to get too hasty there, but if he, if he does this, you know, for the rest, obviously not going to put up a sub one ERA for the rest of the season, but if he no. continues to locate well and pitch well throughout the year in the rotation, then, then yeah, sign him. Yeah. Yeah. He keep going. If, you know, if he can keep this mojo going, that's what we want. If you look just based on fielding independent pitching overall value, he's the best starter right now. And that's along with Kyle Hendricks and John Lester and you Darvish and Alec Mills, because you could obviously look at like that sub one ERA and be like, all right, is he getting lucky or is he really dominating? You see a sub one fielding independent pitching. What does that tell you right there? Good. Very good. And the rotation as a whole has been very, very good. It has been very good. And I, I have, uh, Another interesting thing that I found out today about the Cubs rotation, Mm. uh, the Cubs have two pitchers in the top five of lowest exit velocity allowed. Can you guess who they are? Uh, Is Tyler Chadwood one? No, he is not. Uh, Darvish? Nope. Mills? Mills. And in fact, Mills is number one in the league. Wow. Lowest exit velocity allowed, just a hair under 80 miles per hour. And John Lester is currently at number five. John Lester was going to be another guess. And, you know, John Lester, his start against the Pirates, I tweeted this and just little brag moment. This tweet got on the marquee postgame show. It was 
Yeah, I know. So special, right? But it was a very grindy start for him. And that's what you expect. Grindy start. Because when you look at the box score, you say, all right, you know, he's not getting a lot of strikeouts, but, you know, he's going fairly deep and he's not allowing a lot of runs. He started off pretty shaky against the Pirates, and it looked like he was with the pitch count and the runners that were getting on. It looked like he was going to be very lucky to get through like four. And then he was able to turn things on, and he turned that into a very, very, very good performance. So the guy can still pitch when it matters. And, you know, he's always been pretty good at that, too, at at not letting one or two bad innings ruin the rest of his start. He's he has always been pretty good about picking himself back up and getting back on track. Uh, And honestly, that's that's something that you expect out of your veteran guys. So it's nice to see that Lester is still holding up well and still pitching well after all these years. Obviously, the stuff is not exactly the same. The velocity is not exactly the same. But no. guys guys like Lester are smart enough to figure out how to elongate their career by not pitching harder, but just smarter. Absolutely. Now, here's the big question, and here's what a lot of people are talking about right now. What does this mean for Jose Quintana? He is throwing again. He's going to be pitching in simulated games. He's trying to work back as quick as he can. Everything is clicking and working right now. And I would be okay if this is how things keep going with keeping it as it is. Now, some people are saying, does that mean you trade Quintana? And my thought is, if you can get a good deal, you can can shop him. But just to trade him, just to trade him, I wouldn't do that because your depth at the starting rotation is not very right. deep. You know, God forbid somebody gets hurt and you trade away Jose Quintana, unless you're getting another start in return, your options are Alzale, who you want to be your future guy, but you don't really know who you have just yet. And like Colin Ray, who was pitching in AAA last year, you don't have the depth. And right now you really don't have a lot of long relievers. So I don't know about you, but I would totally be down with trying Jose Quintana as a bullpen guy. I mean, I don't think you really have any other choice at this point. And unless the Cubs, you know, found the perfect deal where they were set up to get a great prospect or like you said, another starter in return, then I would not trade him. Trading him would be one of my last options, I think. And I I don't see them getting a guy like that for Quintana right now. I just don't. I don't see that as being realistic. So I think you got to hold on to him. And I think that for the time being, uh, the best case scenario would be to have him in the bullpen and he could be the, the sort of long arm guy that they're, that they've been missing right now. Uh, but the thing is, if history repeats itself, you can't exactly count on Alec Mills and Tyler Chatwood to be, great all the way through the rest of the season and you know if one of them starts struggling or if one of them gets hurt if anyone in the rotation gets hurt then you would wind up you know really wishing that you hadn't traded Jose Quintana so for that reason you have to hold on to him unless just an absolute no-brainer deal pops up on the table which frankly is not going to happen so I think that's the way it's going to shake out I think that's probably the best 
thing for the team right now. Stick him in the bullpen for the time being. Uh, maybe he gets a chance to start when he comes back, but I, I think you got to hang on to him for sure. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that it would be wise to be kind of quick with a hook. If somebody's like, if like Alec Mills starts struggling and Jose Quintana is back, he's healthy, he's throwing well in the bullpen. I think it might be wise to kind of not mess around and be like, all right, we got to get the veteran in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it, it's one of those things where, you know, even if nobody gets hurt, I, I would be surprised if we didn't see Quintana make some starts. I, I think that he, at the very least, gets a chance to prove that he can be back in that rotation. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with you there. The only way I could see Quintana getting a solid return is there are teams out there that could really use a starter. A la Braves. I mean, that's... A... Well, yeah, losing Soroka is... Awful. Yeah, that hurts. Oh, that was brutal. It was brutal to watch, and yeah. you hate to see that for the Braves. And, you know, if they get desperate and Quintana looks good, I don't know. But Quintana's got to get healthy in pitching again. So see, even, we're not even there yet. Even in a scenario like that, it's hard for me to to see a team like the Braves drastically overpaying for a guy like Quintana, because I think that, you know, they could get someone like that elsewhere if they needed to. Uh, But, you know, who knows? Because the Braves are in a position where they're expected to be uh, a championship contending team. And so maybe they do really reach down all the way to the bottom if they have to. And remember too, they have former Cub Cole Hamels and he's also hurt. Boy, I was a huge fan of Cole Hamels, but I'm pretty glad we didn't it's, give him $18 million. Yeah, it's it's probably for the best that that relationship is done. Yeah. It's just a shame because you remember last year before we got hurt mid-year? He was our best starter. Oh, yeah. But you know what? Yeah, when, he, was, he was on fire for that stretch with the Cubs. When you suffer an injury and you're not in your mid to late 20s, you're in your late 30s. Yeah, not just on the wrong side of 30, on the wrong side of 35, That then you really got to be careful at that point. Yeah, and I don't see Cole Hamels giving in. I think he's going to try his, his hardest to pitch as long as he can. The guy's a bull. He's been very durable throughout his career. I see a lot of similarities with him and John Lester. I mean, you look at the career numbers, and you look at the accomplishments that each of them had, you know, a lot of similarities, a lot of similarities, and these are guys that don't back down, but, you know, we all know that both John Lester and Cole Hamels, their prime years are behind them, and at least John Lester's healthy, and at least he's able to still get outs, while, yeah. unfortunately, Cole Hamels, we saw him struggle in the end of his Cubs tenure after he came back from injury, and now he's battling injuries again, and he got yeah. a lot of money. He got yeah. a lot of money. And it's, I mean, and it helps John Lester too that he's been in the same spot for the last five plus years. I mean, there's there's definitely something uh, of a comfort factor there as opposed to Cole, who's been sort of bouncing around the last few years. Yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely. I mean, he was as consistent as it gets in Philadelphia. But you yeah. think about his days in Philadelphia. He was traded what five years ago? He was traded right after he threw that no hitter against the Cubs at Wrigley yeah. Field. Yeah. That was five years ago. Wow. Yeah, hard to believe. 
doesn't feel like it was five years ago. No, I know. I know. Time, time goes, man. Yeah. So here is another question I want to ask you. Tyler Chatwood's number one. Wilson Gutierrez is number three. Do you have any guess who number two is? I'll give you a hint. Bullpen. Oh, uh, got to be Jeffress, right? That's correct. Yeah. Jeremy Jeffress, who has come up pretty big so far. And Jeffress is not exactly throwing lights out stuff. The velocity is kind of low. He's using more location and movement than speed. He's not getting a lot of swings and misses, but you know what? He's getting outs. Yeah, he hasn't given up a run yet, has he? Nope. 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 Yeah, I mean, that's. I don't think anybody would have guessed that he would be the best bullpen guy we've had up to this point. Him, Rowan Wick, have not given up runs. That's it. Everyone else is... Uh... Yeah, see, that's... That right there is why... I am kind of containing my excitement about being nine and two right now, because just with the way the bullpen is going, it just feels like everything is ready to implode. I mean, it's a lot of these games have already been on the verge of catastrophe because of the bullpen. If it gives you any, if I can console you a little bit, not much, but a little bit, Casey Sadler, I think, while he has some command issues, has looked better. Uh, Ryan Tapera, the numbers don't look good, but I still think there's promise with the stuff. And that's all the consoling I could do. Kyle Ryan, yeah, oh, looks bad. Yeah, that's. I I tell I'm I'm not all that confident in this bullpen. I mean. We weren't from the beginning, but I, nothing has changed. I was hoping they would surprise me. A couple of guys have surprised me, but the bullpen as a whole is pretty much what we thought it was going to be. But the team has been helped out by you know the bottom of the lineup hitting fantastically, uh, and the rotation just being awesome. But you know that that's the sad part is eventually you know the rotation is going to come down to earth a little bit. Uh, the bottom of the order is not top of the order. I mean, is not going to hit that well. Uh, but on the flip side of that is you could probably also expect guys like Rizzo and Baez and Bryant to start hitting better too. So it's, it's, it's not all doom and gloom from me right now. One last thing on the bullpen before we move on, uh, you know, I mentioned Kyle Ryan real quick. And the big thing with Kyle Ryan is the velocity is down, 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 down. And you can, see the effect it's having and the other thing is this is what we talk about every week but you gotta get Kimbrell out of the closer spot he just he can't be there maybe maybe he you can like ease him back into the closer spot if he can prove that he can be an effective bullpen pitcher uh in a different spot then maybe you slide him back in there what do you think I don't know. I just, it looks so bad. Well, the the frustrating thing about last night's game was gives up a ground ball single, which, you know, was just well-placed. Then he got a strikeout with 97 up on the corner. So I'm like, oh, hello. And then he got a few swings and misses and a few well-located pitches on the next batter. 
And then he grooved a fastball and it just got hammered off the wall. And honestly, props to David Ross for giving him a chance to redeem himself in that situation, but then having a very quick hook and not letting him out there to roast and die. Um, Yeah. Because not to do any bashing here, but I think it's fair to say Joe Madden probably wouldn't have had as quick of a hook. That has been the biggest difference, I think, between Madden and Ross so far is that Ross has got a much quicker hook. And And he's dealing with this new rule. That's the crazy thing. And honestly, with this Cubs bullpen, I think you have to have a quick hook. I mean, you can go into the cliches about trusting guys and all that sort of stuff, but the reality is... If they're not getting outs, they're not getting outs. Yeah, the reality is this bullpen needs a quick hook. And in a season like this, especially. Yeah. And I'm very impressed with David Ross in that regard, because there, there were some concerns even from me that, you know, being a former player for this team and knowing most of these guys that would he have a hard time stepping away from uh, the role of being a teammate and a buddy and stepping into the role of, of being the authority figure of the team. And I think he's done a, a fantastic job so far. I think he's really proven all of the the skeptical people wrong, including myself. Boy, you look at the, some of the quotes that a lot of these guys have had. It's very evident that they needed a fresh voice, and the fresh voice yeah. they're getting is a very good one. And, and you know, we got to give him credit here. We have to for the start, because if the Cubs were 2-9 and nine right now, no doubt we would be bagging on Ross and we would be asking if he's really got you know what it takes to do this. So it, being that they're 9-2, and two, I, we got to give credit where credit's due. Absolutely. Here's another interesting thing to consider. You know, there was the whole concern about, well, is Ross just going to be, you know, the buddy, the friend of uh, these guys? Because, oh, yeah, we won a World Series with him and all that good stuff. Well, here's something to consider. You know, there's a handful of guys that played on that World Series team. You got Rizzo, Contreras, Baez, Bryant, Schwarber, Hayward, Hendricks, Lester. The rest, they weren't a part of that team. So a lot of this core that's around this main core, like the the core of supporting cast around the main Mm -hmm. cast, a lot of new guys that weren't with him at that time. So true. I don't know. I just, I feel like the narrative was a little overblown. Well, overblown. Yes. But I, I I don't think it was, uh, necessarily uncalled for either. I think it's, I think it was a valid concern given his history with the team. Uh, I, I don't mean to say that, you know, that there was any merit to it, but I think it was a, a fair question to ask, uh, but he's but he's proven us proven to us all now that that he can be the leader, the, the undisputed leader. So uh, I think that that question is is buried in the past now. Yeah, I think so, too. Absolutely. So let's go to the offensive side of the ball. It's been kind of weird for the Cubs because you look at guys like Chris Bryant, who's still struggling. Things look a little better, but not as bad as Christian Yelich in Milwaukee. Jeepers. You look at the numbers there. He's like the worst player in baseball right now. Literally after somebody tried to make the argument, he was better than Mike Trout. Oh, like I saw that. I saw that. Like the only reason you even say anything like that is, is just for clout. Stir the pot. 
Yeah, there's no way that person really believed that. He's got a big drum, like a big cauldron just full of sludge yeah. and stirring it. Yeah. And it's bubbling yeah. and the steam is rising. I feel like that's what you do on a daily basis. Oh, yeah, that's pretty accurate. You're just in your garage with a cauldron full of slop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> but, okay, so looking at the key guys, fair to say Wilson Gutierrez has been their best overall producer. You would agree? I would agree, yes. Now, Anthony Rizzo, you look at the 222 batting average, but that goes along with a 417 on base, a 472 slugging, and an 889 OPS. So Rizzo's just kind of taking advantage of when he can, even when the average doesn't look very good. I'm pretty sure his BABIP is among lowest in the league, which usually he always starts off that way. They shift him. He gets hit by a lot of pitches, but he's got three homers. He's got five RBI. And he's, you know, still hitting overall. Just the batting average doesn't look right. He's producing at the right time. So that's okay. Now, Baez is kind of weird because the numbers look pretty bleh so far. And he's struck out a lot. But he leads, uh, he's tied with the team leading home runs with Ian Happ. And he's driven in the most runs. So Baez has kind of just been coming through in the big spots. Whether he's hitting home runs to help extend the lead late, or he's hitting walk-offs. You know, he's coming through at the right time. He just hoped yeah. to see a little consistency. Yeah, and I'm I'm not too worried about him, honestly. I think he's going to pick back up and, and get a little bit more consistent. It's hard, to, it's hard to read too much into what guys are doing at this point in the season. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the flip side of that is the season is very short, so it's yes. not like you have months to figure it out. It's kind of... I don't want to say now or never, but uh, you do, I think, have to have a little bit more sense of urgency. Yeah, no question. I think also the guy that deserves a lot of praise is Ian Happ. 281, 395, 625, OPS north of one. And people, again, keep in mind, we're talking about these stats right before they take on Kansas City in Kansas City. So, by the time you're listening to this, the numbers will probably be a little different, but it gives you an idea of where these guys are. You know, hopefully a guy like Chris Bryant has a big game. Jason Hayward's been hitting better too because he started off really slow, but oh, did you see that monster shot he hit last night? Uh no, I knew he hit a home run, but I did not see that one. I it was I, a bomb. I told myself I was gonna go back and watch it too. It was I I a saw people bomb. on Twitter going nuts for it. Yeah, it was it was hit way up in the right field bleachers. It was a no doubter. And he, again, he's been hitting better too. He's been getting on base more. The overall numbers don't look great, but remember he started off really rough. But it, it's looking better for him. He's getting a start tonight against a lefty, so I'm not sure those stats are going to get any better. You never know. We'll see. But he's probably in there for defense, which is okay. I mean, that's his best asset. Having that defense and right is always good and. We'll get to defense in a minute, but you look at the rest of the team. I like what Caratini's doing so far. I like what David Bodie's doing. David Bodie's hitting the ball very hard, very, very hard. He's got an OPS of nearly a thousand. Uh, Jason Kipnis, boy, what a good yeah. pickup that's been so yeah. far. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad he's. I'm glad he's on the active roster and playing well. That was a smart pickup because with Nico Horner, who's overall looked impressive so far, he's a 23 year old kid. 
you need to have a veteran safety net in there. And Jason Kipnis so far is providing that. And he's a guy that gives you a positive spark, I think, even when he wasn't really doing very well the past few years. He wasn't that all-star that he was in Cleveland in his early days, but he can still provide a spark, and so far he has. Yeah, it's it's been great to see. And and did you know he is a Chicago native? Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. I bet you've never heard that before, ever. Never. From anyone, ever. Yeah. How many times did we hear that during the World Series? Oh, my God. Way too many times. Way too many times. And also adding the fact, oh, yeah, I grew up in the same neighborhood as Steve Bartman. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Anywho. So that's kind of everything on the offensive side of the ball. One other thing I wanted to say, the Cubs defense so far is among best in baseball. Defensive runs saved, way positive. Look at Bodie and Bryant the other few nights. They've been flashing the leather. The final out last night was a smash on the ground, and Bryant was able to backhand it and sling it to first for the final out. That easily could have been a game-tying hit. You got to love how they've been playing defense so far. Really impressive stuff. Yeah, that's that's kind of uh, classic competitive Cubs right there. I mean, that was when they first started emerging as uh, as a good as a good ball club and as contenders. That was you know one of the one of the best assets of that team as a whole is they played really sharp, good defense. And under the under Joe Madden, the last season and a half or so, we saw him start kind of slipping a little bit and getting a little sloppy at last times. Sad. Yeah, and you know it's that's that's hard because obviously the players have to perform and the manager can't control everything everyone does, but it is the manager's job to make sure that everyone is focused and dialed in and 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 performing to the best of their abilities. So it it is really nice to see the Cubs as a solid defensive ball club again, because honestly, the way the game is being played right now, you have to be really sharp defensively. There's really yep. not a lot of room for error. Yeah, exactly, because last year it really took a dip big time, and we knew that this team was better than this. We did. We we knew they were much better defensively than that because you look at the numbers over the past four years. Now, 2016 was historically good. You're not going to reach that again. Like Their defensive runs saved and their their run differential was just insane you're not gonna see that again but in the following years in 17 18 they were still really really good and then last year it was just like they fell off a cliff and it was like they were a different team last year a completely different team it was just bizarre i mean i still even today i still have trouble wrapping my head around what exactly happened i just think that the focus wasn't there yeah i think that the coaching wasn't just you know you just kind of got the sense that everyone was sort of just going through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. I think the lame duck thing was really yeah, going over man's head. And I think that they're just, they got complacent and mm-hmm. they're energized again. They're focused again. And you got to give David Ross a lot of credit. Now, a lot of people are bringing Joe Madden back into the mix. They're like, Oh, Joe Madden and Joe Madden. It's like, you know, it's look, you can be thankful as heck. For Joe Madden, the guy helped bring us the World Series, for goodness sake. But you can also point out the obvious, that it was time for a change, and that the change has been so good so far. 
do I think that you need to do it taking shots at Madden? No, you just take the situation for what it is. You had something great. It ran its course. The battery ran out. So you replace it with a new one. That's what happens. Yeah, and, and I don't know if, if Ross was uh, the missing spark, uh, but obviously whatever they've got going on right now is working. So and I was a little bit skeptical that, that that's what they needed, that a managerial change was what they needed. But, you know, I'm willing to accept that, that maybe that is that was the, the main problem. I mean, I, yeah, it, I think there it, were a number of things, but it was a, it was part of it. It, it pains hard. me to it pains me to say that because I I still really like Joe Madden. I think he's a good guy, and I I love uh, some of the some of the mentalities that he brought with him to Chicago, and I I think he was good for the team as a whole. But it just that that relationship expired sooner than I would have wanted it to because it just the fact that he's the one that that finally brought a World Series to Chicago. It just feels like the pair, the the two of them together, is was too short lived. It, you know, to be the one to finally pull it off, you would think that he would also be a mainstay in Chicago for a really long time. So it it still kind of bums me out that that didn't end up being the case. Sure, you know this city sports has a very sad history of coach legacies ending on sour notes. I mean, Joel Quenville was fired from the Blackhawks in November a few years ago after he won three Stanley Cups, and he's the second winningest coach in the history of hockey. You know, that was a sad, depressing ending and probably wasn't handled the greatest. Uh, Look, Phil Jackson, we all know he left Chicago with a championship, but you watch The Last Dance, you knew that it wasn't riding off into the sunset by any means. Right. Isaac yeah. Gian too. That kind of ended. Isaac Gian wasn't really a sour note. He just kind of fizzled out. Ditko was a pretty sour ending. And Lovey Smith, even though he didn't win a championship, he did bring the Bears to a Super Bowl, and that was kind of a sour ending too because they went ten and six, but they missed out on the playoffs because they lost some really key games towards the end of the season, and it just it just kind of crumbled right there. And it's it's too bad because you know. Lovey's the best coach the Bears have had the past 20 years. And even though he didn't win a Super Bowl, he did bring us to one. So, you know, then with Madden now, you have this history of good coaches kind of having sour endings in Chicago. It's too bad. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's just reality is that the fairy tale ending does not generally happen. No, I mean, David Ross, that kind of thing is rare. For him to be like, you know what, I'm retiring... I'm an old, washed-up backup catcher, but I'm retiring, and I'm going out with a World Series win and a home run off one of the best relievers in the game. That's rare, man. Yeah, and then returning as the leader of the club. it's It still is, is surprising to me how well-received David Ross was for just being on the team for a couple of years and having been out of his prime for quite a while. It's I mean, that's... It felt like destiny for him to become the Cubs manager because that that relationship with him and the team and the fans just clicked instantly. Think about how the David Ross era in Chicago started. Everybody was hyped because we signed John Lester. And then, you know, it comes out, oh, they signed David Ross, you know, his personal catcher. It was like, okay, cool. Old veteran catcher that can catch John Lester. Okay. Who would have thought that that signing would turn into 
what it did. And you look at 2015, he wasn't the loved Grandpa Rossi among fans in 2015. He was just the third string catcher for John Lester that couldn't hit squat. And then his final year, he actually, for a backup catcher, hit pretty well and hit a couple of bombs. And all of a sudden, this guy was a really popular figure among fans. Yeah, and, you know, I don't want to jump the gun, but it kind of begs the question, was David Ross doing more to hold guys responsible when he was a player than Joe Madden was? I think there's evidence that he was. I mean, it's... I think that's a fair question to ask, honestly. Some of the stories that were told in 2016, when they fell behind three games to one, the guy that said, don't you dare put your heads down, that was David Ross. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it makes you wonder if if he had a larger authority role uh, or leadership role, I should say, when he was a player on the Cubs than, than Joe Madden when he was manager. Because it, it, given how they've started now, it, it, it would make sense. And people always sort of uh, believed that when he was there. So, I mean, this sort of led, lends credence to that theory, I think. Yeah, I Joe Madden, he was there to change the culture into a winning one, and he did. He was there to help the youngins along, and he did. There's no doubt Joe Madden had an absolutely positive effect into them turning into World Series champions. There's no other way to put it. But yeah, I think it's fair to say that when it comes to the guy who was looked at for advice and leadership, I think David Ross played a bigger role than any of us really could have thought. I mean, the more stuff that comes out about not only his time as a player, but what he's doing now that's more and more evidence. I mean, look at how many guys in baseball, whether with the Cubs or outside the Cubs when they played with him, have said similar things about David Ross. Jason Hayward was teammates as a rookie with David Ross when they were in Atlanta. So their relationship goes back pretty far. Indeed. It's interesting to see. Like, who would have, again, who would have thought that, oh, Eh, okay, backup catcher, third string, this David Ross, okay, he's just going to be the backup catcher, whatever, that that guy would turn into such a big part of this organization. It just, it, it kind of blows my mind. It's kind of, yeah, that ascension was is pretty incredible. I mean, you generally don't see guys make the jump that fast. And in early 2015, in the first few months, he couldn't hit anything, and Lester kind of got off to a slow start. He eventually found his groove, obviously. Lester had a very good 2015, but his first few starts were mediocre at best. Mm-hmm. And again, Les, uh, Ross wasn't hitting. So I'm like, all right, why are we wasting a roster spot with this guy? Like, just DFA him. Why is he still here? Like, it's crazy to think that how much it's changed with him. I mean, really. And, and thank God it worked out the way it did. And it also speaks volumes about going back to your whole, he had a big, you know, voice in the clubhouse and all that stuff. The fact that the Cubs kept him and it clearly, clearly they were grooming him for the position. I mean, that had to have caught their eye very early. Like they knew he was going to be replacing Madden several years before. You know, You heard what Theo Epstein said yesterday where David Ross is fixing up things that have been lingering for years. I don't know if you saw that quote. 
I did see that. Uh, what I would be interested to know is what specifically what things Theo is talking about. I'd like to know too, but one thing seems kind of obvious. That was kind of a shot at Joe Madden. Yeah, which, you know, I'm not not too pleased with. I mean, it's, that's, it's over and done with. There's really no reason to take shots now, I don't think. I think you could say that without taking a shot. You can say how good he's doing without comparing it to years right. past. Right, And Epstein is usually an incredibly great speaker. I was just a little surprised. But, you know, I, I truly believe, and look, I'm not in the clubhouse. I'm not in the offices. I'm truly starting to believe that there was a lot more rift between Madden and Theo than we thought. There must have been, because that is a little uncharacteristic of Theo to take a shot like that. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it, it makes you wonder just how soured that relationship was at the end. Uh, but I, I still am not a big fan of it. Because no, I to get me, it. Because to me, it, it just, you know, I understand that, that this was the right time for it to end. But to me, it comes off as sort of a lack of gratitude, maybe. I just remember thinking... The night we won the World Series, I'm like, Joe Madden is going to, rightfully so, take over Ditka, who's frankly kind of overrated because the 85 Bears was more Buddy Ryan. But, you know, Ditka still has stuck around as this big, you know, Chicago icon, even when you've had coaches like Phil Jackson, Joel Quenville. But I thought... And Joe Madden is going to be like the next iconic coach of the city. And now, like, you don't really feel that. You feel almost let down by him when he brought us a World Series based on what you're seeing from how a lot of people are reacting. Yeah, like I said, the fairy tale ending just doesn't usually happen. It's Hollywood. Though I will say this give it 10 years, and we're looking back at that World Series. I think as time goes on, that will kind of heal any wounds there might have been, and Joe Mann will be welcome back, and people will be celebrating and remembering the good times with him. That thing does kind of happen in sports. It does, and I, I, I do think at some point he'll come back and be embraced by the fans, and I will enjoy that too. And It'll be a fun story to tell someday when we're old and crotchety. I remember in my yeah you do that exactly. anyway you yeah, do that pretty now. much yeah i come across that way to a lot of people i'm sure but you know what it's just it's just because i'm wiser than the rest of you oh get out of here <laughs> all right i'm gonna need a new co-host so inquire from within people i don't want to work with crotchy old mcgee over here i won't fight you on that <laughs> All right, well, I think that's just about going to wrap things up here on Climbing the Ivy. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to remind everyone that you could check out Cubby's Crib at cubbyscrib.com. You could also check out their Facebook and YouTube pages and their Twitter page as well. Sorry, not YouTube. Forget I said YouTube. I don't know why I was thinking YouTube. But anyway, check out their social media. Check out their Instagram. They do have Instagram, so check that out as well. Also, you could check out this podcast at iTunes.com. Until next time, he's Adam. I'm Alex. Have a great night.